Welcome to World Policy on Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal, published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. In this week's program, posting April 15, 2016, we speak with Khadija Sharif, iLab editor for the African Network of Centers for Investigative Reporting, ANCIR, about stories on regional scandals it developed in collaboration with World Policy Journal from the recent Panama Papers leak on tax havens, front companies, and the elites that exploit them. We'll also point out top features in the new WPJ Spring issue, cover line Black Lives Matter Everywhere. You're listening to World Policy on Air. Now this. Mossack Fonseca is a key player in a sprawling, secretive industry that the world's rich and powerful use to hide assets and skirt rules by setting up front companies in far-flung jurisdictions. More than 300 journalists trawled through millions of leaked records from Mossack Fonseca to expose an alarming list of clients involved in bribery, arms deals, tax evasion, financial fraud, and drug trafficking. A YouTube video from the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, ICIJ, just days ago heralded its long-secret Panama Papers project based on the largest data leak in history, 2.6 terabytes containing 11.5 million records of secretive financial arrangements made by Panama's Mossack Fonseca law firm. Some 140 world leaders and top politicians were named in the documents or linked to those who were. They include Iceland's Prime Minister Sigmundur David Gunnlaugsson, who resigned under pressure, and Vladimir Putin, whose spokesman called allegations about him Putin-phobia, designed to destabilize Russia before elections. The law firm denied doing anything more than filing paperwork to incorporate companies with no connection to their subsequent operation. Supported by George Soros's Open Society Foundations, the Pulitzer Center on Crisis Reporting, and Pew Charitable Trusts, among others, the ICIJ promotes transparency to counter cross-border crime, corruption, and unaccountable abuse of power. Among the journalists who researched the Panama Papers were those of the African Network of Centers for Investigative Reporting, ANCIR, with which the World Policy Institute co-produces the Africa Investigates podcast series, and to which World Policy Journal provided editing help for nearly a dozen Mossack Fonseca-based exposés in Africa. To discuss that work for this week's podcast, I spoke recently with ANCIR iLab editor Khadija Sharif. Khadija Sharif, welcome back to World Policy on Air. Thank you for having me back. Uh, first, tell us how long and how many people ANCIR had to investigate documents from the Panama Papers leak. Um, there were more than a dozen African countries involved, and of course that inclusion is now growing since the official launch. Um, we had a formal physical course in Johannesburg uh, during July 2015 so that we could get some of the lead investigators together in one room uh, with some of the iLab experts, our prosecutorial, financial, and data experts to sit down along with ICIJ and try to get a grasp of what the essence of the data is about, given that the data is just another source. And uh, the leak was very important. It was just a lead and needed to be investigated as thoroughly as any other investigative story that a journalist would produce. And what is the role of your ANCIR iLab in all this? 
with the African media houses um, and the brilliant talent that they have, what we wanted to do was deploy a virtual expert team. Uh, for example, our prosecutorial editor has taken the courtroom process of cross-examination, of setting up articles as if they were criminal dockets to ensure that the most important, sometimes controversial uh, evidence can be kept in. Um, so we tried to virtually deploy this list of uh, experts to all of the media houses as they need it um, in order to develop the pieces as thoroughly and rigorously as possible. The World Policy blog notes that the financial structures Mossack Fonseca helped others take advantage of are particularly damaging to countries in Africa. By what metrics is that and, and why? Well, the continent loses about $150 billion um, in illicit flows every year. So it basically generates an artificial poverty that then reproduces the same cycle of vulnerability, corruption, inequality that, you know, embeds the problem. And um, with the system, we found that Mossack Fonseca was uh, operating across a number of other tax havens using a number of other intermediary firms like themselves, but also critically the banks and the accounting firms that help enable and facilitate this. So the company didn't actually want to come into contact with those that they represent. They prefer to work with other similar intermediaries in order to fragment and spread the information across as many companies and jurisdictions as possible. So this creates a false paper trail of due diligence, and it also creates kind of deniability that they can say, well, you know, this shell company is the shareholder. We didn't really know who owned the shell company. We did what we were supposed to do. So while it's technically legal, it's still illicit. It's still against the purpose of the law. And like the apartheid regime or Nazi Germany, the law is not necessarily right. And even though there's a lot of scandals and scoops involved in this, we hope that people don't lose the bigger picture, which is that it is systemic, and new villains will simply replace the old if these kinds of gaps are not closed. Well, for one example, let's focus on a big energy company in Uganda, Heritage Oil and Gas Limited, known as HOGL, which participated in the country's first strike of commercially viable quantities of oil. It later sold out, but tried to avoid nearly half a billion dollars in capital gains taxes with a two-pronged strategy. The first relied on advanced knowledge and lawsuits. Say more about that combination. Yeah, I mean, they, they used a, a typical structure, which is to create uh, offshore entities uh, in order to avoid paying taxes in a technically legal way. The Ugandan government acted correctly, and uh, since publication of the article, the Revenue Authority has reached out for further information. But the strategies used by the company were very typical of many, many oil companies operating globally, many mining companies, and in fact, even companies like Coca-Cola. So while the leaks are important, what they've done is just to highlight in a collective and coherent way. You know, the spotlight of the world is now on these very illicit and opaque strategies that have become normalized. They are not exceptional. Um, it's not limited to a few players, and uh, it, it is very typical of the system. So we have a situation where a country like Uganda could have lost half a billion dollars effectively um, through the strategy which people would say, you know, it's legal, so what's wrong? The question well, we need to ask is not just what's wrong, but who is being wronged and what is the process. I was interested to read that the oil company got advance word that this tax was going to go into effect, and so they first tried to fight it legally uh, in the country, but then they turned to this other system that is the heart of, uh, of the Panama Papers scandal. But yeah. they re-domiciled from the Bahamas to Mauritius in the Indian Ocean. But Bahamas is also a tax haven. So what was the advantage of Mauritius for HOGL? Uh, reconstructing the, the corporate uh, system in place 
allows for a, a host of legal and, and, and financial techniques to be used. But Mauritius is really, we could call it an information vault. You know, uh, Mauritius is a government that will very rarely yield information that's required. So um, in addition to the other strategies used, the companies know that when they go to Mauritius, there is no chance that the Mauritius government is going to provide the information that, for example, the Ugandan government may require. And that's their speciality. Uh, tax havens work in complement with each other, um, similar to how banks and accounting firms work. And the strategy to use Mauritius, like Switzerland, was a very clever one. Because until today, even with the Panama exposures, it's highly unlikely that the Mauritius government will provide any information on a case that's already so well known, because that's how they generate a small part of their revenue. With these kinds of jurisdictions, Panama, the Cayman Islands, and Mauritius, they sell coconuts or they sell financial secrecy. At the end of the day, the Panama Papers isn't really about Panama or even Mauritius. It's about governments like the UK who use their power for the foreign and offshore um, territories that they have to coerce them into creating this kind of legal and financial secrecy. Uh, Coca-Cola's financial prowess is about five times that of the Cayman Islands. So when we think about it, these countries are also being used in a way that has an umbilical cord tied to the politics of the global financial architecture. But it was interesting, uh, Mauritius involves another element that uh, was, uh, is peculiar to it in that it had a, a no double taxation agreement uh, with Uganda. The idea that a company in Mauritius didn't have to pay taxes to both uh, countries and it was advantageous to be in Mauritius. Uh, the government says, uh, the Uganda government says that that was really an arrangement made to bring more investment to Uganda, but there had been warnings that uh, uh, from the IMF even as back, far back as 2000 uh, that uh, there was a danger in, in dealing with Mauritius. We often speak about Africa as a homogenous whole, but within Africa there are many tax havens or other secrecy jurisdictions we should call them, like Liberia, like Mauritius, and surprisingly like Botswana, which is effectively the Switzerland of Africa for capital flows. It has no exchange controls. There's no need to put the beneficial owners of companies in official or public records. So when referring to Africa, we now need to understand to what extent um, it's not homogenous and that countries that provide these secrecy services um, need to be outlined and they need to be engaged in a systemic way. Um, so, for example, when we're looking at these kinds of stories, Throughout the past decade, uh, the Tax Justice Network has been consistently outlining and, and highlighting where and how these fault lines occur and that it needs to be changed. But what Panama provides us with is global pressure and, and global awareness. And we hope it's not going to be based in sympathy but in a, a, a consciousness that will force a change because the governments of these countries operate according to national regulations. But companies operate in a multinational way. They can create ghost entities in many, many different jurisdictions, create artificial costs through management services, high interest loans, and, and a host of other techniques. So what happened in Uganda, similar to what happened in many, many other countries, is normal. It's the status quo, and it needs to change. And hopefully advocacy groups and governments will pay attention to what is being exposed by the journalists and fulfill their part of the job, which is, changing the law to ensure that this does not happen. Khadija, thank you. Khadija Sharif is iLab editor for the African Network of Centers for Investigative Reporting, ANCIR, to which World Policy Journal provided editing help for nearly a dozen Mossack Fonseca-based exposés in Africa. 
In the end, Uganda made an unconventional demand that the capital gains tax be paid by the buyer, Tulo Oil PLC, whose exploration license renewals were at risk. After an angry shouting match with the Uganda Revenue Authority chief, Tulo agreed to withhold the required amount from what it still owed HOGL and turn it over to authorities. And the Uganda parliament began considering amendments to help close tax loopholes exploited by foreign investors. Other ANCIR stories sparked by the Panama Papers involved the president of Botswana's highest court, who made seven investments in a Caribbean tax haven, the deputy chief justice of Kenya, also a director of four tax haven companies, a Nigerian considered the richest man in Africa, the Steinmetz Group Diamond Empire in Sierra Leone, and many others. And some governments are already putting pressure on the journalists involved to turn over the key documents and other substantiation. Featured in the WPJ Spring issue, Black Lives Matter Everywhere, you'll find articles about black power in the French banlieues, race and revolution in Cuba, plus the unintended consequences of India's war on sex selection. And listen next week when our podcast will focus on black as a country, building racial solidarity across international borders. World Policy on Air is a production of World Policy Journal at the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. Editor Christopher Shea, Managing Editor Yaffa Frederick, Podcast Producer Matthew DeMello. I'm David Alpern.